0: guys welcome to touch by prayer i am super excited oh my gosh look look I have Emma Stark in the house. I am so excited you want to share this broadcast. Sorry for the delay. We've had some problems, but this is going to be a power pack show. If you do not have her book, The Prophetic Warrior, you need to get this book. This book is powerful. It is life changing. It has so many. Oh, my gosh. There's so much in it that it is going to help you to transform and it's going to bring you into a new level of boldness that you've never experienced. So make sure that you start to share. Make sure that you say hello on the chat but without further ado i am going to bring on the very awesome emma stark hello emma welcome to
1: touch by prayer i am so excited that you are here thank you for having me i am delighted and honored to be here lisa all the way from a very cold glasgow scotland come on come on and you and your husband
0: have the glasgow prophetic center and you guys are doing amazing things it is going to i mean i can see what god has been doing in your life and through your life through your books and through your prophetic word and you are man you are just igniting people and you are setting heaven on fire with (laughs) with the words that you're proclaiming holy moly (laughs) But, well, thank you. I've got a lot to live up to now. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, I'm going to bring up your book. This is your book. It's the Prophetic Warrior Operating in Your True Prophetic Authority and what I seriously loved about this book is that there have been so many books about the prophetic, but this one is, this is kind of your understanding on how you moved into the office of a prophet and how you've used the prophetic gifting to help people understand their power and their boldness, but more importantly, their identity as a son and
1: as a daughter. Yes. uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of feel we need to be, we just need to be honest We need to be bold truth tellers, you know, and so much much of what I, I mean, I love the church. I absolutely love the church once and all. Pain and all, you know, and, you know, we have to adore the church uh, because Jesus loves her. So we got to adore her too. But my goodness, is she mediocre most of the time? You know, that's just the reality. And I think what has gripped my heart is this sense of I know, not just in some abstract way, there's more, because I think we say there's more, there's more, and then we never step into it. And then we irritate our own selves by saying there's more, because we're like, I'm saying there's more, but I'm not seeing it. And I believe that this is the day where the more is inside you, it is in your hands. You are not waiting for it. You are not even contending for a new day. You are in a new day. You are weaponized by heaven and you're. Life starts to change when you just use what you already have. When you start to decree, when you start to prophesy, when you start to heal the sick or cast out demons, the power of God for you to be extraordinary in his name and for his fame is already indwelling. And I think our mediocrity, our patheticness, our dilutedness, our averageness, our overlookableness, our sense uh, uh, to the world that the church had nothing relevant uh, to, to, to offer us. We have agreed with that by pushing the kingdom of God into the not yet. I mean, it's not yet. It's not yet. And we have this Underdeveloped eschatology, where we think that what's what's real and what's wizzy and what's amazing is for down the line, and God says, "No, it's here. It's now. Re- kingdom of God is here. Revival is here. Awakening is here. My power is within you." And I think that has so gripped me this this sense of the kingdom of God is now, is today, is here, is present is real is accessible and it's this mindset shift and you know what I sorry I just got very excited there (laughs) (laughs) but that sense that in my head I am a killing machine come on I'm a killing machine I'm a, and, and, and we get a bit too proper and a bit too buttoned up, you know, and prim and uh, and conservative in all the wrong ways. No, 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 no. Let's not say anything too extreme. I'm a killing machine of the powers of darkness. Come on. That, that, that is what I do. That is who I am. I'm in the army of God. I'm weaponized by heaven. And I am a killing machine day in, day out. I am a territory taker. I am an overcomer. And I think we have lost this champion mindset. We have lost this warrior uh, distinctive in the body of Christ. Uh, we have lost this wild radical that when you get that, you can have the greatest adventure every single day of your lives. Church doesn't need to be boring. Faith doesn't need to be dull. Why have we made it like that? Oh, come on. Okay. So that, that's the thing because when we
0: carry the the gift of prophecy with us, every place that we go, we can ignite and excite people into becoming everything that they've been called to be. So what we have is we almost have fire, we have dynamite that we can place inside of somebody and blow up the lies, blow up the the things that have been stopping and blocking them just by a word from God. And it's going to remove that rubble and it's gonna start them moving into the direction that they've been called.
1: I, I would I would say that the great problem that I see, uh, you know, that we have um, uh, worked with, or our has been thrust upon us by the kingdom of darkness is not, you know, they've not taken the Bible out of our hands. They've not banned church. You know, it's not like, you know, we're in China where we're not allowed to meet. But what we have been under perhaps is worse. Can I say it is perhaps worse than that? Because what I see when I work in the Eastern Europe and in the ex-communist bloc countries, which are not too far away from me here in Europe, what I see there in the persecuted church Is this passionate understanding of the ever present reality of a powerful God? And I think what we have, what has happened to us is that the religious spirit has so stolen our wildness that you and I spend most of our lives waiting for permission that has already been given. And I think the religious spirit and the political spirits that cover the that cover the church uh, say you can't do that without permission you you can't kick out the demon unless you know you've got some more training and it's the you can't you can't you can't you're not ready you're not enough you're not good enough you're not educated enough you're not intellectual enough you're not bible college trained enough you're not you're not you can't and the you're not and you can't of the religious spirit has become so much part of our mindset that we don't even question it. And we don't even have that sense about us of looking at the early disciples and going, here were teenage youngsters with barely, you know, a, a, a life experience between them. Jesus' disciples were all teenagers. They were not in Bible colleges or seminary as great as. As that is. And that kingdom of God par was trusted into the childlike. That the kingdom of God par was trusted into the least. You know, it was trusted into David's cave of Adullam with the dispossessed and the debtors, you know, and the downright unimpressive. And so, you know, you and I would always want, you know, uh, nations to change and people to be transformed by the highly intellectual and the well polished and yet God turns nations around by prostitutes called Rahab and we want to be the people who say well God could never use somebody like that and God in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 lines Rahab the prostitute up alongside Moses and Abraham and we flick through the pages and we should be horrified at that, hang on then minute. You're putting the patriarchs alongside Rahab. Have you lost your mind, Hebrews writer? And yet God says, no, you've got to learn through this, that I use who I use. My permission is granted. My power is released. My trust is on your shoulders. I see you as righteous. You are not looking for permission. You've already been given permission.
0: Come on, that's a huge word. That's a huge word. We've already been given permission. Everything that we do that you know, we're hearing from the Lord. And so the Lord is like, I'm telling you what to say. Just go say it. And we've had this fear of man that has been like, well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to offend or I don't want to say anything because what if they're not ready? But what if we just trust what Papa is saying? And we yes. just go into those places. We release what needs to be said, and we don't try to qualify ourselves. I, I love the fact that you're talking about Rahab, because look at what she did. You know, she was the insider. She was the insider. See, God will use people who are insiders because they already have a sphere of influence. They already are in. We are on the outside. And sometimes we need that person on the inside to get that information out. So when. I mean,
1: we, go yes. ahead. No, what Rahab does is Rahab opens the door for the future of a nation. Come on. Come on. You know, Psalm 115 says God does whatever he wants. God does whatever he wants. And we, we would have wanted to pastor her and rehabilitate her. Come on. Let's talk about that. You know we, we would have we you know and, and the interesting thing to me is when we used to go into psychic fairs when anything was open in scotland you know mm-hmm. lockdown since march continues i reckon we'll be nearly a full year in lockdown in scotland but anyway anyway so in back in those days where i could leave my house it seems a bit memory you know and we would go into the witchcraft community we would get witch and warlock saved just repetitively i mean it was like spiritual midwifery and they would come and they would curl in fetal positions at the floor uh, at our feet and we wouldn't even be speaking to them i like your aura of course they mean the holy spirit in, they didn't know to call it the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? I would get on the phone to church pastors. I didn't pastor church at that point. I do now, but I would get on the phone to church pastors and I would say, "We've just had this witch. And we've just had this warlock saved. Um, uh, c- could you take them and could you disciple them?" I remember one Sunday afternoon ringing eight different church pastors, and the church pastors all said no. And it, it, I mean, shockingly so. I don't want. Uh, I don't want a witch or a warlock to disciple. I am too scared uh, that they're going to um, not really be saved. I'm too scared that, you know, they're going to use their dark powers against us. These people had just found Jesus, you know, and when we did get them into churches, when we did get them into churches, you know, the church it would say, you can only stand at the back and serve tea and coffee. You're not even allowed, you know, to do anything spiritual, and they would ban these new converts from doing anything spiritual in case it was like a polluted stream. Do you know these people had left covens? These people had left their entire world order and find Jesus Christ of Nazareth and we wouldn't even trust them to have an authentic encounter with Christ and at most they could pour a cup of coffee. And do you know what? These witches and these warlocks these witches and warriors had been raising the dead and healing the sick in the name of Satan six months earlier. They were used to spiritual power and they had now got the right source. And they wanted to see what the power of God would do in comparison to the power of Satan that they used to use. And they struck me like Elisha. When Elisha gets Elijah's mantle, what is the first thing the man does? He tests what he's got. He throws it on the water in the front of all the other prophets to see if the mantle of Elijah is any good in his hands. And these witches and these warlocks wanted to do the same thing. What does the power of God do, you know, now that I'm on the right side? And of course, we we got so scared of, of the supernatural. We got so scared of the power of God. We got so buttoned down and boring that, you know, no wonder the church became an irrelevancy. Because a church without par is not a church at all. Oh, come on. I'm preaching. Now. A oh, yeah, you are. without par is not a church at all. Oh, I think we need to dine out there. A church without par is not a church at all. It is a poor reflection of Christ.
0: Phew. Come on. That's a word. That's a word. And that's one of the things, like, when we start to look, they already know how to operate in the supernatural. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be convinced. How many Christians sit in their chair and they don't know that they can do these things? They're like, well, I don't know if I could do that. Well, I
1: don't know. yeah, but these witches and warlocks are like, heck yeah, let's go, come yes, on! Totally. I, know I find Jesus, let's go. And oh, I think Matthew, um, Matthew fourteen talks about it. It's terrifying words. Um, when when he talks, uh, Jesus is saying, woe to you. He mm-hmm. says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. And he cites those three cities. And um, now, if you've ever been to Israel, and I've had the joy of going there. You'll know that the woe to Jesus from Jesus. His mouth still stands today, and those three cities are in ruins in modern day Israel. Um, And of course, I mean, we all talk about Nazareth could anything good come from Nazareth? But Jesus didn't curse Nazareth, so Nazareth is still there to visit today. But where Jesus brought the woe of a curse, those cities are ruined. Now, what is, why does Jesus curse them? He says, woe to you, Chorazin, and I'm paraphrasing from memory of Matthew 14. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to, to you, Capernaum. Because had the miracles that were performed in you been done entire in Tyre and Sidon and Gomorrah, you would still be standing. In other words... In other words, God is saying the way you save cities is through displays of the miraculous. And had the miraculous come to Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre, they would still be standing. Come on, come on. And
0: now. That's one of the things when we start to understand, what was Jesus' ministry? Jesus' ministry was operating in signs and wonders. And it was that, it was those signs and those wonders that were bringing about the disciples. It was those signs and wonders that was bringing about a change. It was those signs and wonders that was shaking up the religious sect that was yeah. saying, oh my goodness gracious, wait a second, even you know the winds and the waves obey him, wait a second, You know the dead are being raised. They were freaking out because they weren't operating in those gifts. But when Jesus came and he showed the manifestation of what power can come from, from heaven, and he started to, to wake and shake the church, they didn't like it. And that's one of the problems I feel with, yes. our, with, the, with the bride. It, it, well, I don't want to say the bride. I'm going to go back to the church. I'm going to say that the church, the, no, because the bride is ready. She's ready to start moving in the supernatural. But the church keeps saying, no, 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 you're not ready for that. No, 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 you can't do that
1: yet. Yes, and actually, Scott Bryan. Hi, Scott. I don't know you, but I think he's he's making a great comment in the comments. He's saying, "Hmm, but the converts from um, uh, not just a, uh, yeah from the general public, not just from satanic backgrounds, were probably not being given much to do either in the church." I think Scott, you're absolutely spot on. And the point the point I'm making there is, we do not give people liberty to operate in the power of God, and y- you see. Uh, but, but the witchcraft community understands supernatural power. Uh, the point I'm making is that most people on the street actually probably don't understand supernatural power. See, here is here is what I believe about the kingdom of God. Uh, and this must be fundamentally at your core when you think about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is limitless. 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 Okay so the par is never contained and and what that in a limitless kingdom there is space for everybody there is it's like the sky. It's so big. No two birds collide. It's a limitless kingdom. And therefore, in a limitless kingdom, there is space for all to operate in the power of God, according to their age and stage, according to their experience. But there is no sense in the kingdom of God of um, you. Uh, a, 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 a cap on you unless man puts one on you in error. The kingdom of God is limitless. It's limitless, limitless, limitless. Now, do I believe in safe boundaries? Yes. Do I believe in submitting to leaders? You better believe I do. And I'm under submission myself because if I'm not under submission, I don't have authority. So all of those Other biblical principles apply, but we must believe that at my entry into the kingdom of God, I am powerful. I may have no experience. I may not know best practice, but I am still par filled and par fueled. I do not hit maybe my my 10th birthday as a son and daughter of the most high God and suddenly get a touch of his power. I don't wait till I've attended church rigorously, you know, 600 times where I clock my attendance on a scorecard and then suddenly God will use you. The limitlessness Nature of the kingdom of God says there is space. for all, no matter what my age or stage or experience is. So my expectation is that I take a new Christian and I put them beside me to deliver people. I don't say you can't deliver people, you know, for the next 20 years until you've done 27,000 classes. You know, I say you learn on the job. And that is the glory of the limitless kingdom of God. We learn on the Job, I
0: love that on the job training that, yes. that is the best because when when I stepped into the In, into the you know basically the signs and the wonders and the healing yes. and the prophecy I didn't even know what it was all of a yes. sudden I started to know things and I'm like how do I know this and I was like is this true and they would start to say oh my gosh how did you know that I'm like ah, I don't know but what what I do want to talk about because I think where where the church is missing it is the fear and that's one of the things that you really hit hard in this book is you go into look you know there are so many people who say oh new level new devil we expect the backlash oh i was out and i was saving people and you know and then all of a sudden these people are coming and and that satan's attacking me because i'm doing such good work and then you were like you were believing it for a while I mean, you saw it with your family because you came from a, a family were ministers and evangelists and they were going out and doing all these things and winning people for the kingdom of God. And then the stuff would come in and you were like, well, it's just what we do. But then you had a revelation and yeah. that revelation changed and
1: switched things. And that is where I believe the church needs to come to. Yeah, it's, an, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we've just made the devil so big. Thank you. We have made the devil so big, and we have given him a kudos and a power and authority that scripture does not. So we we live in response to a fictitious devil. Now, the, I'm not saying the devil is not real. The devil is real. But how we view him is more from what he says about himself than what scripture tells us about him. And scripture is very clear that yes, he's a hunter. Uh, In fact, he's a hunting lion. So the devil is a hunter. He's hunting flesh Um, uh, and and scripture describes him as a hunter. Now you and I go, oh my goodness, you know, scripture, you've said that the devil is a hunter, therefore he must be all power and all authority. And we, we seem to add to the discourse of scripture our own concepts of Satan. And we have got to come back to biblical reality here and biblical truth. Is Satan real? Yes. Is he hunting? Yes, he is. But scripture is also very clear where power and authority lie. And power and authority are given to Christ, who then in turn gives it to us, who are in his image. And so we are the only ones with all power and all authority. You and I, as image bearers of the triune God, you are made in the image of Christ. Satan is not made in the image of Christ, okay? But you and I are. And so we look at Satan uh, through the lens of having power and authority. So I no longer look up to Satan as some kind of uh, ferocious warrior who will always have one over on me, who will always outsmart me, who I need to be very cautious about. No 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 I don't look up I have power and authority, therefore I look down from a victorious place of power and authority and I go, you are actually quite small. And God has given me power and authority, not you. And you, I call demons stick demons because they are easy to remove or to kick out of the way. And of course, you know at the end of time, read the book, that it is not even God who kicks Satan into the abyss, it is one single solitary angel it's all it takes is a single solitary angel because power and authority is so great in the saints of God and in God himself and in the atmosphere of heaven that actually it only takes one angel just to flick him over the edge of the abyss and of course what the word of God says is that we will look down and say is this the worm that tormented the world and so you change change how you see it. You are not looking up to Satan as some kind of force that you are going to be attacked by. You look down on Satan Uh, as one who is seated in heavenly places, okay, so if you are ever um, in a place where Satan looks large to you, you know you have magnified the wrong God, oh come let us magnify the Lord together, let us exalt his holy name, that my prayer is that my magnification is done over the vastness of God, and my minimizing is done over who satan i think that shift is fundamentally colossal because i look down and then i say well you don't have power and authority to take from me And, and i i get very concerned about the concept of satan having legal rights he doesn't have oh. any rights. Come on. He he's not a lawyer. He's not a legalist. <laughs> Satan is a legalist. Satan's not a legalist. If he was a legalist, he wouldn't steal anything, okay? Oh, come on. He has no legal rights over a bloodbought saint of the most high God at all. He doesn't have rights. Come on. Do not give Satan rights. Come he on. Doesn't have any, okay? Come on. And no we, we we ascribe to him some kind of bill of rights that he doesn't have. Come on. So we give him permission, all right? And Scott is right again. I like this guy, Scott. <laughs> mankind and um, has uh, no mankind has dominion. Uh, we have all power and all authority. Now, now ah, here, here's how it works. Remember when Jesus blows on the disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel? He gives them. All authority, yes, Mm -hmm. authority is given in its entirety in the great commissioning. All authority is given to me, therefore you go. And there is the breath of Christ and the authority in the great commission. All authority is given. Now, where does the par element come from? Because they're given in separate moments in scripture. Okay. The par element is given in Acts chapter 2. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You shall receive par when the Holy Spirit comes. Now we think the Holy Spirit is the giver of tongues. Okay. And we measure the spirit. Spirit in some very odd ways. we measure the spirit prim- primarily wrongly as can you speak in tongues therefore you have the spirit but the biblical measurement in Acts 1 verse 8 is a receptivity of par okay? Power, power. You shall be clothed and you shall receive power. Now, at that point, you need to understand the word dunamis. Now, dunamis is the Greek New Testament word for power. You probably know that. But actually, the first definition in any Bible concordance is not dunamis, meaning power. It's actually force. You shall receive power all the force of the kingdom of God when the spirit comes. That's a more accurate, more literal translation. Go and look in Strong's, okay? But we, 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 we use the word par uh, to, to summate that. And so you are given all authority at the end of Matthew. And by Acts 2, you are given the force of the kingdom of God and all par. And so we say we have all of power and we have all authority, very biblically accurate, very biblically accurately. Satan does not. Now, let's talk about angels here. Angels have power. They don't have authority. Okay. They only have authority when they're given delegated tasks to perform that. And so power is the capacity to do something. Authority is the right to do something Satan and the angels don't have rights they don't have the authority is right it's the right to do something they don't have rights they are they have power and they are given delegated tasks okay it is only you and I who have power and authority we've got to be more biblically literate. Yay, okay. So you change your perspective on Satan and actually you stop then giving him so much room and you stop your fear of him as a lifestyle. That is, okay.
0: There's so much to unpack in that because I believe that as we start to understand what our authority is that we start to move in our authority that we we stop focusing our attention and we start focusing it on him. It's like when Jesus was in the storm with, with um, he was able to, not the storm, when Jesus was walking on the water and he said to Peter, He said, come. And and so Peter stepped out of the boat. And as long as his eyes were focused on Jesus, he walked on the water. I don't care if it was one step, but the minute he takes his eyes off of him, he started to sink. And I think that's the same thing. It's like, as we start to shift our focus, if we start to shift our attention, we're now saying, oh, my gosh, the enemy's going to do that. No, Jesus is going to walk us through the water. He, he we could have walked all the way across to the other side if Peter would have kept his eyes and his focus instead mm-hmm. of allowing that fear to come in. Because, you know, when I look at that scripture where Jesus
1: says, greater things will you do. Definitely. John 14. Yeah. I mean, yeah. John 14, because I go to the Father. I think the, the story of Jesus walking in the water is fascinating because um uh, it, it's in a couple of the Gospels, certainly in the Synoptic Gospels. But what you get is um, uh, in one of the Gospels, oh, I think, uh, I think it's Mark's it telling of that story, you get, and Jesus was going to walk past them. And Jesus is out walking on the water. He's already told them to go to the other side. I, I find that fascinating it, that actually Jesus was on his way across and they, um, they were still in the fourth watch of the night, which is kind of early morning, three to six. They had been rowing from the previous evening. They should have been there. They should have been across at that point already, but the, the storm had delayed them for hours. And Jesus, it says in, in I think in Mark, was just going to walk on by. Now, isn't that fascinating? Because Peter only got his miraculous moment when he opted in, switched his eyes on, saw Jesus called out to him and said, you know, ask me to come to you on the water. And watch that, watch that story. The miracle of Peter walking on the water is initiated by Peter who sees, desires, wants, asks, and goes for it, because otherwise Jesus was just going to walk on by them. Uh, I think we learn from that story that there is an onus on us to be observant uh, of what Jesus is doing, to be desiring of supernatural power, to be asking Jesus, can we step out of the boat? And I think we get the wrong emphasis in that story. Jesus had planned to keep on going, but there was such a desire in Peter to not miss out on the power of God or on the person of Christ that he opted into this great journey of water walking, and it is no different, you know, in in um, uh, Corinthians where where Paul is writing and he says, desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Earnestly, covet. One translation says, zealously love another translation says that there is this um, emphasis in scripture that you must desire these things. You must be on the lookout for a supernatural God and you must desire these things. And I think we believe that desiring is wrong because we've got desire horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And yet there is a righteous desire in the New Testament. Desire spiritual gifts. You and I think that's unhinged. <laughs> you and I actually yeah. think it's not biblical. But and it's we it in scripture, but we don't like that scripture says it. We don't like scripture where we have are, are given permission to be rapidly in desire of spiritual power and authority we think that's that's wildly uh, selfish we we think it's greedy and yet god is saying no 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 there oh amy's typing in here you yeah. know our appetites have been stifled for too long by religion. High five, Amy, absolutely. That actually we have got to awaken desire for the power of God. Oh, you heard me right. We've got to awaken desire for the power of God in our lives and for the use of recognized spiritual gifts.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, when we ask, when we ask for these gifts, we have to understand that God wants to give us these gifts because it's going to, it could impart into somebody, it could take somebody onto a journey, it could release something inside of them. So sometimes, you know, we think if we're asking for these things, it's selfish, but God is saying, no, no, I want you to ask for these things because I'm going to use it to grow my kingdom. This is about planting seeds. This is about opening up new doors. This is about unlocking and people into who they truly are. You know, when, when we start to look at the scripture says that all the creation is growing for the sons and daughters to arise or to manifest, yes. you know, it's in that power, it's in those giftings that we're going to come into the fullness of who we are. If yes. we're always sitting in and sitting in a pew and just waiting for somebody else to go about doing their stuff, you know, we're gonna be waiting a long time because it says, you know, we have to go boldly. We have to take, we take things by force. So Sometimes that's where I really? feel like that's what Peter did, because he yeah. said, if it's you, if it's you, bid me come. So yeah. he was grabbing hold of it and he was saying, I want to go where you're going. Yeah. I want to yeah. be where you are. So, but when I'm looking for that permission. And that's exactly where I believe God is in right now. You know, he's just saying, I'm giving you permission.
1: I've given you permission. Start walking. Yeah. Now, interestingly, Scott is saying there, and people often quote that, that it's in the context of first following after love. Huh. Well, what is love, Scott? Define it. Biblically define me love. You see, and of course, you'll, you'll quote to me, love is patient, love is kind, you know, <laughs> and so on and so on. I can love my children ferociously. Mm. So good. Come on. I, I can love my children. I have three children, 18, 14. I can love my children determinedly. And so I think we have made the love of God some sort of um limp sandwich on a bad day. <laughs> you know, oh you know, the they are there, the they are there. No, hey, no, no, no. Yeah, I can yeah. love you so ferociously that I am willing to go and get the demons off your life. I can love you so ferociously that I believe you're worth setting free. I can love you so ferociously that I will do whatever it takes to, even if I'm uncomfortable in it, to get the word of God into your life so that you have the horizon line that your life actually needs. And and let you know, I think I think we're all on the same page here. We're all on the same page here. Uh, yes, love does keep us safe. In that, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you just are par hungry, uh, uh, you know, without the tempering of love, it becomes about you rather than the fame of Christ, doesn't it? So you know, it it, it is my love of the King and my desire for His fame uh, that, that 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 motivates me. It is not not for ego. Um, but but he, here's the problem he, and he, here here is the problem. We have fallen off the road of best biblical practice. And we need to know we've fallen into the ditch, we would say the shuck if you're in Ireland and Scotland. We've fallen off the road of best biblical practice into the shuck or the ditch. Of heresy on the side, and the one that we have fallen into is we don't desire, we don't be, we don't go after par. We've fallen into a place of passivity, haven't we? You know, we're passive and we're scared, and we've fallen off. Okay, so the sense of, of you know, I don't, I want to get back on the road, but I don't want to fall off the other <laughs> the other side. You know, by being par hungry. Uh, you know. And so we come back to this biblical place where I love you ferociously and I desire spiritual gifts and power and authority to use as a weapon of the love of God on the earth. Yes. Yes,
0: absolutely. And when we we can start to because like you were saying that you love your children ferociously. Right. And that's how God loves us. He loves us ferociously and if you have wisdom to give to your children don't you want to give it to them yes you have power if you have if they need money you want to give them your money if they if they need something you're going to give it to them if you could give them healing you're going to give it to them whatever you have you're going to give to your kids well it's the same thing with us we have to stop this like thinking that God doesn't wanna give us anything because we're gonna abuse it. Your kids, if you give something to your kids that they need, are you afraid that they're going to abuse it? Are you afraid that they're gonna take it and they're gonna do something bad with it? No, you've raised them in a proper way so that if you give them something, you know that they're gonna be responsible. Now you're not gonna give a five-year-old the keys to your car because that's not wisdom. But if your child is 17, 18 years old, you'll give them the keys to the car because you will trust them that they are equipped, that they know how to drive, they know the rules of the road. It's the same thing. God's not gonna give us something that's gonna help us blow up. He's gonna help us to move into the places that we've been called to do based on what he's
1: already done inside us. Yeah, I, I think when we look at the concept of the limitless kingdom of God and back right to that, the limitless kingdom of God, I, I'm not building um, a succession plan I'm not building a succession plan. And I think most Christian leaders are building succession planning. You know, what's the succession like? I'm I'm not interested in a succession plan because it's a limitless kingdom. So therefore, I have an expansion plan because it's a limitless kingdom. I have an expansion plan. And so there is a sense that as fast as I can delegate, as fast as I can trust, I'm doing it. So what that means is I'm always cleaning up a mess. I'm a leader. That's my job. And so I'm not containing people. I'm liberating people. I am liberating people and coming alongside them and cleaning up their mess. Why do we take that mindset? Because God is a co-laboring God. I think it's another one of the truths that we need to come back to grasp hold of. I'm in co-laboring. I'm co-air and I'm co-laboring. Now here, Hear me on this. Am I a son and am I a daughter? Yes, I am. Will I remain in heaven, a son or a daughter? Mm. No, I become a bride. Oh, come on, come on. When I go to heaven, I come into the ultimate place of my co-laboring with Christ. Cute. Jesus, because it would be weird, doesn't marry his children. Okay. It's illegal for a very good reason. Jesus marries a bride who hmm. has made herself ready. And so somewhere we need to add to the revelation of son and daughter that I am bridal and therefore I have co-laboring and co-heir status. Hmm. And we talk a lot here in Scotland in, in the Global Prophetic Alliance of being biblically literate. And this is part of our biblical literacy, okay? So I come into a daughter or sonship understanding because of the love of God and the security, but I grow up into a bride and I grow up from my mindset into a dependency like that, that I have with my husband, rather than a different sort of dependency that a child has, that's maturity, that's biblical maturity. Where uh, and is the same kind of dynamic where you're wandering around the wilderness as the children of Israel, and you are completely dependent on God, you know, in a, in a very certain sort of way. But you get into the promised land, and you are expected to work. You're not expected to work in the wilderness. They don't. But you're expected to plant and tend, and work, and that picture of from wilderness to, to promised land is the similar picture between son and daughter promotion to bride, I have a different responsibility in the promised land, because I have territory and land that I that I grow, and I tend, and I, I jolly well grow up, okay, and so this sense of, you know, um, I'm a down and I and I and you know God can't use me and you know God will never really. Uh, I mean, I'm just not good enough. You have to lose that as you move out of child mentality into bride mentality. You are co-labouring. Ultimately, you're co-labouring, and you will rule in the new heavens and the new earth as a bridal co-labourer. So you start that now. Why? Because Jesus will not marry a child. Come on. Jesus will Come not on. marry a child. Jesus will marry a bride who has made herself ready. And I think we get, uh, you know, yes, that's about purity, and yes, it's about holiness because we, we read about the spot and without wrinkle. But actually, it's about a it's about a bridal mindset that is already doing the work of the kingdom. And when I married my husband, David, 22 years ago, we've been married 22 years, you know, that symbol of that co-laboring, playing to your strengths partnership is a sign on planet earth of how I should be thinking of relating with God. That's so good.
0: Okay, so I, I just want to share a vision that I recently had, where I actually heard here comes the bride. I heard here comes the bride and everybody stood up in the church and they turned and they looked at the bride. And guess what? This is the thing that I caught is that the father was the one giving her away. It was the father who was walking her down the aisle, which Mm -hmm. basically is what you're saying. He wasn't bringing a child. He was bringing his daughter, to marry yeah. his son. Yeah. Who was going to be a the full version of everything that she's been called to be. Mm-hmm. When we look at that that we can start to see that that God is in the process of mm-hmm. getting the bride prepared. That God yeah. is wanting to get the bride prepared for
1: his son. Yes. Is is a mindset shift. It, it is it is this mindset shift into the place sure, where yeah. I'm used by God and we partner on things together and you know uh, he's clearly the senior partner clearly Mm -hmm. you know but actually it's that sense of um he and I do things as one yes
0: yes and you know what if we look at song of songs he says you are my equal
1: you are my equal you are my equal yeah it's terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying, you know, what the righteousness of Christ, which we're dressed in, does for us. Mm. Where it, we who are uh, in and of our own selves, not worthy at all, yes. are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and are made worthy to be this, this 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 co-laboring co-air uh position. And so, you know, I do think Jesus looks at the you know, we said we love the church. I don't really don't want to be too critical because actually I think a lot of us in the church do a great job. You know, we do, oh, do a great job. you know, we work very hard. Um but that sense of a church that is now through pandemic and through crisis having to grow up and that part of this shaking and and part of this war that's happening on planet earth uh, you know and, and and god is certainly fighting at the moment on planet earth fi- fighting for us and fighting with us part, part of this 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 war that we're in is to grow us up and to shake off us our wrong ideologies our our wrong dependencies, our wrong notion of church, and this—the the joy of seeing the church shaken. I mean, I think we need to go. I mean, I know it's horrible, and we're all looking for something familiar, and we're all looking for something comfortable. I mean, we're all on that page together, but I think we need to learn a joy in crisis and a joy in shaking, because what this is doing to us is stripping us of our wrong dependencies and our wrong ideologies. I mean, hallelujah for it. And I think in that we are actually in a a revival. Yes. We are live now in awakening. Why? Because crisis and chaos sends men to seek a savior. You have more people in online church than we could have dreamed of at the beginning of the year. A quarter of this nation in the British Isles where I am is attending church. That is revival by any measurement. That is awakening. And I think we thought we would enjoy it more. I think we thought we would understand revival more. I think we thought it would look more familiar to us, I- akin to the revivals of old. And we thought that the glory of God would come into my church. I would run to the front and I would enjoy this kind of sense of the spirit of God. But but we're not even allowed in church buildings and we feel a little bit shortchanged. But revival is here. And I heard the Lord say to me yesterday, revival. Revival is well down the track. Revival is well begun because people are turning and you are more awake now than you were six months ago, massively because shaking generated within you perseverance and perseverance developed in you a godly character. And you know more about God and how he works than you did six months ago because crisis accelerates. And so the church is awakened and revival is already here. We just don't like how it looks. And I think we've got to get into this place of yay, Jesus for crisis. Yay, Jesus for chaos. Yes. Well, you know, it the- is. Well,
0: in the midst, in the midst of all the trials and in the midst, you know, of, of things, you know, if we, if, you know, the Lord was giving me, while reading your book, I had this vision of, um, of the Wizard of Oz. But one of the things that happened is that it was during their trials, it was during their chaos that their true identity was pulled forth. So it's in those things where our character is developed and it actually arises. So if we think that we're afraid, but yet we are coming into a place where we have to be brave because of the circumstances, and I'm going to say this because of the love, you know, there's nothing that is going to bring out a warrior than a mama when her child is in danger. Let me tell you something. You're going to bring out something inside of her that you're going to wish that you didn't because she's going to stand there and she's going to fight for her child you're going to have people who when there is a situation where there is something unjust they're going to rise up and they're going to do things afraid because of the love that they have for either the person or the situation. And so that's what I see is coming because as we've been praying into our chaos and into our confusion right now, we've been praying into and filling those bowls so that God would be able to partner with us into moving us into this next season where we can actually get out of the bags and uh, uh, that we've been wearing and actually start getting ourselves ready to start putting on the bridal gown, where we can start moving into the things that we've been calling all to do and now we're not going to be this passive um, church anymore but we are going to become very present and become very dangerous to the powers that have been trying to block and stop us because when we start to feel that shift and that change like something has to move and so you have a choice and so this is where i feel like the rubber has met the road
1: Yes, I, a,
0: amen, amen. <laughs> <laughs> but this, I, I just want to, um, I just want to thank you so much for for coming on and for sharing everything like that you said. I mean, the revelation that you carry is just incredible, and your book, The Prophetic Warrior, has really mm. been—it it truly has been such a, a game shifter in the way that I see myself as a um, a prophetic voice or even just operating in the prophetic, which we're all called to operate in the prophetic. And before we actually get off that would you mind just praying for those who have been listening, just um, either for an impartation or even just for an awakening of the warrior that's inside of them?
1: Yes, she, shi. Father, I thank you for these dear ones that you have gathered for this time uh, today. And I hear the spirit of the Lord say, sons and daughters, you have been ones who tried to take flight before only to find your wings were clipped. And the spirit of the Lord says, this is the day where I am unfurling your wings and giving you the ability for soaring light in my thermals with me. And the Spirit of the Lord says, I will reef." feather the wings that were plucked by religion. I will refeather the wings that were plucked by fear. And the spirit of the Lord says, now I will make you a whole being once again, without the limp and without the lack in your inner man from yesterday. And the Lord says, you will soar and you will fly. And in the name of Jesus, I love to you the ability to go again in signs, wonders, miracles, boldness, and fearless ways of the King of Kings. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you again for coming on. If you guys want to make sure you go and get your copy of the prophetic warrior, start walking into the boldness that God actually has for you. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you for coming on touch by prayer. Thank you guys for tuning in for this special time. Just remember to go out and touch someone. Good night.